You've discovered TalkZone.com, the best in Internet talk radio. Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Each year, thousands of teens drop out of high school. What can be done about this? And is your child at risk? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talks with an expert to get the answers. Roy? Thanks, Chris. A high school diploma sounds like the most minimal requirement for most people in the workforce these days, but it's surprising how many students don't make it to graduation. And there is some controversy over what even constitutes a diploma. Dr. Gerald Tarazzi is the executive director of the National Association of Secondary School Principals, and they recently released a report on graduation rates. Dr. Tarazzi, welcome to InfoTrack. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, tell us some of the highlights of your report first. Well, first of all, without question, graduation rates and the number of students not graduating is a significant issue in high schools across the country. And in this report, the first thing we try to clarify is the need to really look at how we calculate graduation rates. We have a number of researchers out there that have calculated in a number of different ways. And several school districts, most recently I think Los Angeles would be in that category, and Houston, Texas, where based on you know how they've calculated the rate and then how other researchers come in and look at the same student population, they get a very different number. And so one of the most important recommendations early on we're making is that we need to have a national definition as to how we define graduation. Since we don't know exactly because of the varying definitions, do we have a basic idea of what the graduation rate is across the country? It varies depending on who you talk to. It's somewhere between 75 to 80 percent of all students. But the real tragedy is when you look at urban communities and poor rural communities, it goes as low as 50 percent. And it's very low for the African-American population. And it's also very low for the Hispanic population in particular. And also in the report, you talk about some of the things that can be done to help that graduation rate improve. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to have a good definition and everyone buys into it, but then you need to step back and gain a better sense as to how you're going to ensure that more youngsters graduate from high schools. This is really the capacity side. How do you do it? And, you know, some of our recommendations. Well, first of all, Title I is the major funding source the federal government has to provide significant resources for youngsters who come from poverty backgrounds and who are below grade level. That money largely goes to urban schools and poor rural schools where you see this problem. And it's approximately a 12 to $13 billion with a B commitment that is made to do this. The dilemma you have in high schools, and Title I, by the way, is a K-12 program. We have made a consistent point that we don't have enough money in high schools to really look at this issue the way people would like us to. For example, of all the money in Title I, only 5% goes to high schools, and we educate 28% of the total K-12 population. And so if we're going to talk about how we need to improve high schools and graduation rates, we can't simply suggest, you know, we define what a graduation rate is all about, but we need the resources. And in that case, if you wanted to put high schools on a level playing field with elementary schools and middle schools, it really would call for a national commitment of approximately $3.5 billion to do that. Now, you know, having said that, it's a lot of money. But, you know, when you look at the cost of youngsters not graduating or youngsters not graduating with the requisite skills, you know, there's an expression, pay me now or pay me later. And these kids are going to be unemployed. We're going to see more youngsters in prisons. And, you know, a whole lot of issues associated with societal outcomes that are not being addressed. Why is it that low-income and some minority students do have such a tougher time getting that diploma? 
Well, in fairness, I will forever argue that schools in and of themselves make a significant difference, but there are some huge issues, especially in urban communities, with the issues of poverty and unemployment and single-parent households. And You can go on with a whole litany of things that are impacting on these kids. They bring a multiplicity of problems to schools. And again, people can make the argument, I will too, schools can make a difference, but you have to give schools significant resources. Also, we've had a real problem in urban America, getting the quality of teachers who want in all of our classrooms, getting a commitment to fund schools the way they should be funded. You have a problem with the infrastructure of the schools, you know, what they look like, the working conditions. I think there are a whole lot of factors, but we feel very strongly the job can be done, but it can't be done without the requisite resources that we need. Let, let me give you one other quick statistic. It's estimated that approximately 6 million students, middle and high, cannot read with grade level proficiency, well below actually. Those youngsters arrive at the high school door and we want them all to graduate. Well, if they can't read the textbooks, and high school teachers are generally what I call academicians, they teach subjects. You know, you teach algebra, you teach physics, chemistry, you don't teach reading. And unless and until we have the resources to really put in developmental reading programs and teach reading across the curriculum and do a great job of training our teachers in high schools to teach reading, it's going to be a real problem. I want to applaud the president. He asked for $200 million to begin to address this problem in middle and high schools. And the Congress of the United States appropriated only $25 million. And a quick calculation will show that represents only approximately $4.50 a student. And, you know, you're not going to do very much with $4.50 a student with kids who have very significant reading problems. Well, the whole issue of more funding brings up education as a local responsibility as opposed to a national responsibility. The No Child Left Behind Act seemed to um, thrust the federal government more into this funding issue, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're raising a good point. The No Child Left Behind legislation, and you know, I'd be the first to say there are many component parts of it that are really very laudatory and we fully support, like raising standards and higher achievement levels and disaggregating data so you can determine how all students are doing. But it really raises a significant issue as to what is the role of the federal government. They provide approximately 7% of the total cost of education in this country. Then the other 93% comes from states and local school districts. And also the federal constitution is basically very silent on education. It gives that right to the states. And so I think we do have a tension and almost a tug of war in terms of what is the rightful federal role and you know what is the role of the states and the districts. One thing I found interesting in your report was the importance of ninth grade. Talk about that hurdle of getting through that freshman year. It's the year where you know youngsters are coming into a large, complex high school setting, and some of these schools are very large. And the personalization factor, as someone once said, there's strangers in the hallways. I mean, the whole issue of anonymity becomes an issue. But also, as I said earlier, if you're not reading at grade level and you're suddenly faced with teachers who are really into core curriculum subjects, we see the most significant drop-off in the ninth grade when kids drop out of school. And by the way, I applaud the president who really has pointed out in his uh, idea to take on high school reform that we should be you know, doing individual assessments of eighth graders, finding out their specific strengths and weaknesses, and ensuring that high school teachers have those results. Let's talk about parental involvement for just a moment. What can parents do and what kind of role do they have in this whole thing as far as increasing graduation rates? Well, I think parents have a responsibility K through 12, and without question, it's much easier to get parent involvement in the elementary schools because you're essentially dealing with neighborhood schools. In high schools, you're dealing with a much broader definition of neighborhood. In some places, you're dealing with a whole community or the whole district. It's very hard to get the type of parental involvement you want in high schools. Having said that, 
I think it's always incumbent upon parents to stay close to schools and know what their students are doing. And one of the strong things we advocate is that every child should have an individual plan when he or she enters high school that outlines a track that will lead them to a diploma, and parents should be involved in developing that. But again, the schools can advocate this, they can promote this, but unless and until parents take it seriously and personally get involved, you know, we cannot be held responsible for that. The other point I would make that I think is significant in this report, we really take exception to people who say it's, you know, there's something honorable about graduating in four years. We think if youngsters arrive at the high school door and they need a lot of remedial help before they take on the traditional curriculum, there's nothing wrong with saying those students might need five years to finish. At the same time, we have some youngsters who are on an accelerated track who could probably finish high school in three years. So I don't think we want to continue to be wed to graduate within four years. Interestingly enough, if you look at colleges and universities, students are coming and going on a regular basis. I think the average age in college now is about 26 years of age. So they're not finishing in four years. And I don't know why we're always saying high schools you know, have to do it within four years. Dr. Gerald Tarosi, the Executive Director of the National Association of Secondary School Principals, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. It was a pleasure. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.